As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, now's the time with our best offer ever. Sign up today and you'll pay just £1 a month for the next six months, giving you unrivaled insight and analysis of everything Euro 2020 and taking you well into the new Premier League season two. The Athletic is the only place you can read pieces by award-winning writers like Michael Cox, Rafa Honigstein, Amy Lawrence and Daniel Taylor. And when you subscribe, you'll also get ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts from across its audio network. Head to theathletic.com slash totally and become a subscriber today for six quid until the end of the year. That's theathletic.com slash totally. Good afternoon, passengers. This is a pre-boarding announcement for flight 89. Please have your boarding pass and identification ready. Destination, well, Wembley again, as Kane puts the Danes back on the plane and England head to an actual final. We look back on a night to remember, from Damsgaard's opener to Sterling and Tumberling to the manager's decision to have a jack-off in extra time. Plus, there's a nod to Sunday's opponents Italy, Spain's reaction to their exit and that big shot window for unemployed player Leo Messi in Saturday's Copa America final. It's totally at the Euros in association with Paddy Power. That's the sound of history, living, breathing, crashing in through your television screen. Listener, thank you so much for joining us. It is Thursday the 8th, the day after, and we're joined here on Totally at the Euros by Daniel Storey. Hello, Daniel. Hello, James. Duncan Alexander, he's here too, Duncan. Hello, James. Hello, everyone. Hi. Say it, Daniel. Say it. England are in the final. Woohoo! Yeah, I'm not ashamed to say I shed a little tear at full time, partly because it was a, a horribly tense, fraught, emotional match and partly because 
for the first time in my lifetime and a lot of England fans' lifetime, we're in the final. I've just done this this England book and I've worked out that 54,280 days after England's first game, we're going to have our second final. Uh, and yeah, that bit of it hasn't really sunk in yet. It just feels like we're having a really good time and the magnitude of that has not quite hit home and probably will take until Friday or Saturday to do so. Well, you know what? Other nations would say the magnitude of what? You haven't actually won anything yet, but savour it. Savour it, Daniel. Drink it in. It's a moment of history, uh, Duncan. Anything you want to say to the nation, kind of matter face style? <laughs> um, I'm not sure that that's the accepted style in a lot of places across this very happy nation. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's ridiculous that a country with the the football heritage and and wealth of, of England has, has only reached its second final. But, you know, I think this, South, the whole Southgate era has been, has been ticking off these, these things that haunt the English game. You know, there was the penalty shootout in, in 2018 against Colombia. There was, you know, going to extra time. This was the fourth semi-final in a row that England have reached that's gone to extra time. The previous ones, uh, the first two in 1990 and 96, went to penalties, England lost. Uh, and then in 2018, just lost on classic goal scored to Croatia. Um, but it didn't really feel like that was going to happen at all. I mean, it it felt like England needed that extra 30 minutes because they were so on top and they, they were going to get a goal and, and they did. And that's what that's what's different. You know, that's what's different about this team is that we're not destined to win every game and we might lose heavily to Italy in the final. But if they do lose, it will be because of stuff that happens on that day, not because of these kind of nightmare thoughts that haunt the nation and have done for 50 years so yeah it was a I think the whole Southgate era has been a a period of just shaking off this these demons and and we saw that again tonight yeah who would have thought we'd be saying that what was it six months ago that the whole of the Southgate era was was that tremendous congratulations to Gareth and his boys who go through to the final on Sunday against Italy feel a bit bad for Denmark for everything they've achieved everything they've been through at this tournament providing a much tougher contest than many expected, playing quite brilliantly at times for, for most of the the, uh, the regulation 90 and a little bit cooked in extra time. And I mean they'll be pretty unsatisfied, I imagine, to be losing out on that Raheem Sterling penalty goal. Yeah, I suspect that's right. I, I actually think it was a, it was almost a mirror of the first semi-final in that it was kind of possession versus attempted lightning counter-attack. Lightning counter gets the goal... Um, probably Denmark, you know, had more of the game than than Italy. It's fair to say at that point, but then possession comes back into the game, and then it's just a question of whether that possession can ride it out. I think the difference is exactly what you say, James, is that Denmark seem to have Baku legs because they have, you know, they've done the travelling. Um, they'd already had a tough second half against the Czech Republic, a long way from home, and certainly a long way from London, and. Uh, I think that probably eventually told. I think that became obvious as soon as England had scored the controversial penalty because the initial thing to do was to sit back, which is what England always seemed to do and invite pressure onto them. And within five minutes, I think Southgate got a message out to say, look, these Denmark players are goosed here. You don't, you don't need to sit back and just defend this, give the ball to Raheem Sterling, let him run at players and we can keep the ball. And that last two minutes, very much Mm. a case of recency bias, but that last two minutes is probably my favorite two minutes ever watching England because that isn't England. We don't just, take the mickey out of an opposition by keeping the ball and playing it man to man and side to side and not even letting the opponent get a touch we we go back to our own goals and back ourselves to head and hoof everything clear and mm. 
that was so cathartic watching that last two minutes because that was when I was expecting everything to reach a nervous crescendo and actually it all went very calm. Yeah, you're totally right. And, you know, England's overall pass completion in that game was 87%. Now, that might not sound amazing to some people, but trust me, that is, that's not England. In Euro 92, England mm. ended the tournament with a pass completion rate of 64%. You know, Keith Curl at fullback just crashing out of tournaments left, right and centre. That's what England did for, for decades. And, and it wasn't because they didn't have the players. It's because they didn't have the kind of... They wouldn't accept there were other ideas or other ways to play football. And I think that's that's what's changed. And it took... it's You know, it's taken some stuff that isn't necessarily great in terms of how polarised the Premier League can be compared to the rest of the Football League and stuff like that. But we finally have a generation of players who aren't scared of the ball and, and can keep the ball. And as Daniel said, that last couple of minutes was at no point did it look like England were going to panic and lose their heads. And that's that's been a long time coming. Actually, if you actually think of the 1966 World Cup final, the, the most famous moment in it is England smashing the ball up the pitch with a long pass and Jeff Hurst, rather than keep the ball in the corner, which he should have done, smash it towards goal. All right, it went in and yeah, yeah, whatever. But I mean, overall, we've come a long way from that. Yeah. All right. Well, a little bit later on, you can you can nominate your Wembley heroes from Wednesday night's game. But first of all, should we have a little look back on how uh, this enthralling match unfolded? You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Woof. As they say in Denmark, Miguel Damsgaard's there. It'd been a blitzkrieg start from England. And when they play like that, my word, they look as fearsome as anything in, in football. But it was Denmark who steadied the ship, rode it out and took the lead with that free kick from the young Sampdoria midfielder. What a strike. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Um, I think England were, were slightly foolish to give away that free kick because I think it, the original one was overhit and I think Denmark were always going to be a threat from set pieces although I expect it to be headers rather than shots from 25 yards that dip over a, a wall and into the not quite top corner. Um, but I think Denmark spooked England with their pressing. Um, the one thing England hadn't really faced in this tournament was a a side that really harried and hassled Rice and Phillips in midfield. You know, Germany are player for player are, are better than Denmark, I think, but they sat off England. Croatia seemed to sit, sit off England. And uh, I think, yeah, I think it scared uh, England. I think, you know, they needed to respond quickly because I think the longer that that game had gone at 1-0, the, the more sure Denmark would have, would have been of themselves. And it, as you say, it was a, it was a phenomenal free kick. I, Jordan Pickford got a little bit of criticism. I, I can kind of see why in that standards seem to have increased now with goalkeepers where if it's not right in the corner, you, in the inverted commas, should save it. But the dip he got and then the power because he used his instep, I mean, phenomenal skill. It, was, it, was, it wasn't quite the knuckleball. It was almost a sort of halfway house of knuckleball and, and side foot curl, which... Well, it reminded me of a free kick from the 1990s. It was very kind of Zola or Hasselbank or something like that. It was... It's a sort of cricket you don't really see that much in, anymore. And I think, yeah, you can possibly... Some people did blame Jordan Pickford, but I think that's a bit harsh. It was He'd just set a new record a couple of minutes earlier of the longest any England goalkeeper had ever gone without conceding, overtaking Gordon Banks' his previous record of 720 minutes. And then, you know, classically within a couple of minutes had conceded. But, yeah, I don't think... 
uh, you can really blame him for that. It was just it was just really well hit. All right. Well, the how would England react question was then very much on everyone's mind, and the answer is well. Yeah, they they did what they'd not really done until that point, which was um, rather than kind of play passes through the centre and then look to dip out, they they finally got players down the wings and beyond the last man and it's a fabulous ball from from Harry Kane um, who you know I know this year has felt like decades but this tournament has also felt a long time because that worry about Kane we need a proper centre forward we need a striker that stays in the box kind of loses its weight when Kane's getting two man of the match awards in a row and dropping deep to link up play and still having shots and that pass for Bukayo Saka was was perfect and uh, I, I think Raheem Sterling would have liked to score it, having missed the chance two minutes before, or Hitchmichael two minutes before, but he kind of forced the ball over the line, I suppose. Well, you mentioned Schmeichel's save uh, with these phenomenal midriff on, on Sterling's shot, uh, and it, it wasn't long before he, he pulled off another, even more astonishing uh, stop on uh, Maguire's head, I know, that outstretched hand. Yeah, he seems to have this David Seaman ability he's the keeper I remember doing it the most where you watch a save in real time and you think that's a decent save and then you watch it again on the re- slow motion replay and it, it becomes a three or four times better save um, because he just has these he has these enormous hands and this is incredible reaction times you know I, I hate the fact that within three or four seconds of Schmeichel making a save everyone you know commentators and pundits alike have to talk about his dad but um, he is a, a genuinely world-class keeper in his own right now and yeah I think he'd already made the save of the tournament before this game but as I say he, ju- he just seems to make really hard things look very very easy uh, unfortunately for him I, I think he he probably made a slight mistake on the penalty in that I think he, he tried to catch it rather than parrying it, which spilled the ball out a little bit. But mm. I don't think we can ever blame goalkeepers for saving penalties. Well, he's got a pretty bad Premier League record against uh, Harry Kane, who you know frequently smashes a lot of goals in for Spurs against Leicester. But um, I know, Daniel, I know you don't want people mentioning Peter Schmeichel shortly after Casper, but he made nine saves in that game. That's the most by a Denmark keeper in a tournament game since um, his dad. Peter uh, in the 1998 World Cup um, and he actually if you take um, XG on target so that's where you look at the expected goals where the, the shots hit in the goals it's not just from where the shots taken it's from where it you know if it's in the top corner that's got a better value than right down the middle he actually had a an XG prevented in that game of 2.95 which is the most of any keeper in Euro's history recorded Euro's history so he you know well, how, man how, of the sorry. match how long have they been doing XGA? XGOT. XGAT. Yeah. Um, since 1980, so since tournaments began in there. Seriously? Yeah. yeah. This has been yeah, a we... kind of like shadow society, collating no, this information know, back in secret. Runs it. Yeah, it's like Biff Tannen's Sports Almanac, but better. Um, but basically, yeah. So th- that just shows. it's what I don't think it will really get noticed that much because of the narrative about England, but it's right. arguably one of the great goal co- goalkeeping performances Wembley Stadium's ever seen. So, Well, was it though? Anyway, let's get back to the game. By now, Denmark are maybe, am I skipping too far forward, getting a bit leggy? And Hulman takes off, ooh, arguably, Denmark's two most dangerous players, Damsgaard and Dolberg. Uh, it did, is, does that play a part in this? Are England getting their confidence back? They started brilliantly, as we mentioned, and they finished 
regulation time with an equal attacking intent. Mm. I, I, I think um, Denmark probably got that slightly wrong, only with the benefit of hindsight, because it was a proactive move which they felt they needed to do to try and shift the flow of the game. But it, what it did allow to allow Southgate to do is to hold back deliberately hold back his substitutions I think the danger when both sides make a, a, a number of substitutions at the same time is that the game can get very bitty whereas actually what happened is that England kind of continued with their effective control without creating huge you know huge and clear chances at that time but then when the substitutions were made they really did change the game I think in England's favour and, and certainly in extra time Denmark were were, were shattered noticeably right. shattered so extra time gets underway and by now, it's a question of when, Daniel, for you or Duncan? Yeah, I mean, it felt pretty inevitable. England had six shots in the first half of extra time, obviously two of those from, from one penalty, essentially. But it was actually quite similar. I did an article this week looking at England's previous semi-finals, And if you look at the Euro 96 um, semi against Germany, England didn't do that much in the second half, but actually played really well in extra time and had lots of shots, which I think is maybe one of the reasons Terry Venables didn't, famously didn't make any substitutions, which... I think we've learned tonight that substitutions are good. But yeah, I think it, it felt inevitable, really. I mean, the, the penalty was soft, as we've, as we've mentioned, but I think England could have had two legitimate other penalties in the game. So two, really? Not... Yeah, there was the, the Kane one in the first half. Which and not a. I'm going to say it's not a pen. I know there's an angle which makes it look like a pen, but the defender gets the ball before him, and, and Kane then kicks the back of the defender's leg before going over. So I find it hard to see why... that could be anything more than I've seen them given. Sterling's, meanwhile, I'm going to say that beyond the fact that there wasn't any contact, I am am kind of of the opinion, if you do stick a leg in front of a, a player, you know, the player can go down with some justification, and, and I think there uh, was. I think there was some contact. Was there some contact? Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's the initial. It, it, on the TV, they they made it seem like it was for the second nudge. I don't think it was. I think it was for the first leg ah. uh, that clipped Sterling's right leg. And and I have to say, I mean, I would have been annoyed if I'd have been an England fan and that had gone against me. Of mm. course, yeah. Um, I think it was soft. But for two years, we've been screaming at Raheem Sterling that if he gets mm. clipped, stop trying to stay on your feet because you don't get penalties if you stay on your feet. And the reality is, is that in the VAR era, if you get a clip and you go down, mm. you know, you make the referee make that call. It, it, make VAR look at that. And um, I thought it would have been overturned, I have to say, or I thought they would at least ask uh, Danny Macchielli to have a look at it. But uh, I can see why, if it's given, it's not overturned. Because if there's contact and the penalty's given, they're not going to overturn it. Yeah, it's arguably the most tense England penalty since the Beckham one against Argentina in 2002, which was one from a from a worse uh, simulation, I would argue. Poor old Mauricio Pochettino. Good lord, was it him? I'd forgotten that. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, right, well, so there you go. Sterling goes down, Kane takes the penalty, Schmeichel gets to it, but it bounces straight back into the path of Harry Kane, who slots it away, and his name enters the history books along with the rest of Gareth's three well, lions. He's now gone level with Lineker with 10 goals at tournaments. It means he's scored 7% of England's goals at tournaments in their entire history, which is, mm. which is reasonable for someone who didn't have the best of, of group stages. But I think we should mention how both Kane and Grealish won an incredible amount of free kicks in the second half and the first half of, of, 
uh, injury time. It was, you know, there's not much industry left in England, but that is an industry. Those two just shielding the ball and waiting for the waiting for the free kick because it just broke up play perfectly. Anytime Denmark looked like they were building, it right. was such a great out ball, um, which made it slightly surprising that Grealish was was substituted as a sub uh, at half time and extra time. Well, it, it's a rare thing for England. So he's only the third England player to ever to suffer that 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 fate, ignominious or, or otherwise. Would you would you care to explain the thinking here, Daniel? Yeah, I mean, I think it was it was fairly simple in that Southgate wanted to bring on a defender. Um, probably thought that that Phil Foden was maybe better at, at at kind of the little passing interchanges on the right hand side to keep possession was never going to bring off one of the central midfielders or a defender and was never going to bring off Harry Kane. And I think Raheem Sterling, we'll probably talk about him in a few minutes, but I think he was England's best player and proved in that second half of extra time that he he, he had the energy to keep direct running. So I think it became quite a simple decision. I understand it's a big thing because um, it's one of kind of football's great jokes when a player is brought on and then brought off. But um, I hope that Grealish, you know, I'm sure Southgate will have explained it to him. I hope he reacts positively to that because I do feel a bit sorry for him. Um, but I think it, it made sense. He 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 was a little bit sloppy when he came on. He did lose the ball a little bit. We know that Southgate has a slight issue with the lack of tracking back, which is something that Foden cannot get away with at, at Manchester City. He does that relentlessly and so does Serling. So I think it kind of made sense. It just seemed a, a little bit unfortunate. And we should say it was a massive call because if Denmark score an equaliser in England lose on penalties and Grealish has gone off that becomes the story that becomes mm-hmm. the the reason why Southgate isn't up to the job let's be honest that's what the, that's what people would say so again kind of massive kahunas from Southgate who just certainly doesn't shy away from those kind of calls I mean he'll probably argue he'll probably say to Grealish you got 35 minutes and Foden got 25 minutes which is essentially what happened and you know they both did well, but I guess neither of them directly massively influenced the game. So, yeah, good subs to have, I guess. Duncan, you marked Harry Kane's equaling of uh, Gary Lineker's record of goals at major tournaments. A word for own goal, who is now up to 11 strikes for this tournament. Yeah, there'd only been nine in the history of the Euros before before this tournament so it has been a a pretty massive uptick in own goals but if you actually think about how teams play now right um in England do it as well they get to the byline and pull it back you are going to get more own goals own goals have gone up recently because of the way teams have worked out one of the most profitable ways to create good quality chances is to get to the byline pull it back and someone you know striker is going to run in or a defender has to make a decision and that's essentially what happened with um with England's first goal and that's the science slowly takes steps back and is ready to take the penalty for England oh Schmeichel saved it but Kane is there on the rebound and Kane buries it into the back of the net Harry Kane there slotting that penalty away with no bother whatsoever and well a night of history for England even though nothing's won kind of in terms of titles it's a massive leap forward for this side what moment do you think from this this epochal game, possibly pivotal. Will you be carrying with you, Duncan, you know, for the dark times ahead, something to look back on, a little touchstone? Mm, probably the, the, the 10 seconds or so of slow-mo celebration after the, after the Kane rebound goal, because often in football, a player will score 
and teammates look reasonably happy. Maybe the guy that assisted it looks happy, and then everyone in the, in the distance kind of turns away. But if there was a shot, and you could see, I don't know, six or seven of the England players, some of them were on their knees, the, the, just the sheer joy. Like Phil Foden was almost about to explode with joy, I think. And it was, um, you, that's where you realise the pressure and the kind of the weight of history and the weight of expectation that was on these players. And, you know, whatever happens in the final, they're the second England team ever to reach a final. And I think you could, you could see that in their faces. Has a game against Denmark ever felt this big? Daniel, what was your special moment? I mean, I've mentioned that those last two minutes, so I have to pick a moment from that. And it would probably be, be Sterling's run when he picks the ball up in his own half. Sterling showing great pace again. Fantastic energy levels he's shown in his game. Somehow, after 118 minutes, has the energy just to... Firstly, he, he, he sprinted past two Danish substitutes and then just keeps driving and driving and driving and it's times like that I just want to grab him and say whenever we all want to grab him and say look this is how good you are like you can do this all the time you've got all the ability in the world and I'm so chuffed for him this tournament um and that was just the perfect embodiment of that I wish he'd scored obviously again Schmacher made a great save um but that that won the corner that effectively meant the game was over Mm. Duncan who'd you make your man of the match I thought Carl Walker and and Saka were absolutely brilliant in the first half. They really kind of nullified Marla. But Carl Walker is, you know, he's 31 now, but his pace is extraordinary. He offers a, a level of covering or coverage that no defender in England squad can do and, and in most other squads as well. And he he is just such a brilliantly calm, yet also quite manic person. Do you know what I mean? And it, it was, um, there were a couple of moments in the game where he just swept the whole width of the pitch with his pace and I think you know he's whether England play with a back three or a back four he's integral and um, my main concern I, I enjoyed the run that Daniel mentioned there of, of Raheem Sterling but <laughs> when any England player ran with it towards the end of the game I was terrified someone's hamstring was going to go do you know what I mean it was like kind of just just slow down just take it easy <laughs> but yeah it was um, I thought Walker and Saka were great Daniel yeah, I think I think Walker's recovery pace in behind is, is is almost a cheat code for England in terms of the defending. I know he occasionally makes mistakes and gets into trouble, but the way he's able to just kind of sit on the sideline when when England an England player Stones and Maguire is going up for a header and then just immediately sprint in beside to clear up the danger is is like nothing else that an England player provides. Um, and yeah, I mean Declan Rice as well, who I. You know, is it becoming a bit of a teacher's pet of mine because I, I think there are a lot of people who don't quite understand because you aren't constantly always on the ball and you aren't always doing something, that means you're not playing very well. But the the ability of him at 22 to read exactly when to surge forward with the ball and when to surge forward without the ball to either thwart or, or start an attack, he plays like a 27, 28-year-old and if we if you'd have been told six months ago that Jordan Henderson would have been fully fit for this tournament by the knockout stages and wouldn't start a game and England wouldn't look like they miss him, that's down to down to Rice and and Phillips as well. But Rice, I thought was brilliant. Hmm. Was the official man of the match Harry Maguire or was it Raheem Sterling? Kane. Oh, it was Kane, was it? Okay. Yeah, they've they've now started in the knockout stages, resorting to. FIFA World Cup type of mm. who scored the goal that clinched right. the game that's who gets man of the match a, a lot of people were citing Harry Maguire 
for a, a commanding performance there. And I was just curious. I mean, yesterday Adam on, on the show was mentioning the the kind of massive journey that he's been on since last time against Denmark and the the Greek jail, etc., and, and, and the red card and that. And, and we often talk about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and the fact that he doesn't notionally improve players, but does he deserve some of the credit for the way that Maguire is? evolved as a as, as a player and a character on the field or is that something that you think is probably up to Mag- down to Maguire himself I mean uh, he, he's played very well for Manchester United so yes absolutely y- you can't take any credit away from Solskjaer for that I think Maguire was already a quite a he's quite an independent figure in defence in that he knows what he's good at he knows what he needs to do and he makes sure that he's allowed to do it which is winning his headers stepping up occasionally coming up for set pieces of which you know he's already scored one at this tournament and unlucky not to score another one uh, tonight um if anything and i don't want to get dragged into man united criticism again it makes me wish they had a, a genuinely brilliant ball playing central defender next to him because he is he is everything that you want from that defender's defender. You know, Giorgio Chiellini is almost certainly better than him at it or has been better than him at it, but Maguire is that type. You know, he is prepared to do the dirty work, but he is also good on the ball. He's got pretty much everything. And he looks like a real leader. And, you know, Southgate got quite a bit of flack for picking an injured player, but even if Maguire wasn't on the pitch now, Southgate says, you know, he is a leader in that dressing room. He is dragging people on. And I think you can see that when you watch him play. I mean, you look at that defence, you know, Walker, Shaw, Maguire, Stones, like, merge the two Manchester teams and that is some defence, but um, seems unlikely to happen. Yeah, indeed so, Duncan, indeed so. Well, you you mentioned Chiellini. We will have, probably, lineups permitting, the Maguire-Chiellini matchup come Sunday night. Uh, we'll do a, a preview show for the final on, on, on Friday, actually, a, a, a special totally final preview but just some hot takes on that for many people dream matchup of England against Italy it's been a while since uh, England have got the better uh, of the Azzurri in a in an official match I think you have to go back to 1977 and the recent tournament meetings well the the 2-1 victory in a World Cup in 2014 that didn't work out particularly well for either side before that the the infamous Euros game which was uh, a a nil-nil battering uh, essentially by the Azuri, who then took it uh, with the pill open anchor and, and stuff in, on penalties. Um, and yes, what would you think this time? I, I, personally, I'd say the Italians are going to be extremely concerned about facing England. Yeah, I think I think we're kind of predisposed to um, assume that England will struggle against Italy, probably partly because of history and, and partly because we haven't been in a final for an awful long time. But I think you're right, James. I think... Um, it's time to stop thinking, well, what are England's flaws? And, and think, well, actually, Italy did cede a, a number of chances to Spain that I think England would have finished. Um, they haven't been perfect. You know, they, they stuttered against Austria. They haven't looked like their group stage selves. And England, other than at times tonight, looked to be a team that's growing into their tournament. The other thing I would say is England have now faced some adversity. You know, it's very easy to say it now, England have won 2-1, but it, it probably was important and helpful that England have learnt how to come from behind to win a game rather than just, you know, holding teams off at arm's length and hoping to win to nil. So I suspect the bookmakers will have England favourites because they're at home. I think it will be incredibly, incredibly tight. But, I mean, I'm almost not worried about it now because my my fear of whenever England go into a tournament is there's going to be this horrible 
angry call for root and branch reviews and 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 kind of victimization of individuals and whatever happens now we're not going to have this which is no root super... crops on the back pages you think uh duncan no thank goodness <laughs> not i i just don't like watching games after england have got knocked out but that's not a problem this time so that's good but i think the, the two football cultures of Italy and England, I think, both respect each other a lot. I think a lot of Italians I know really love English football and vice versa. So it, it's a sort of final that obviously has never happened before. And I think it's a sort of final that will really capture people's attention and uh, around the world. Um, you know, obviously, we've got Brazil-Argentina coming up in the in the Copa final, but that happens fairly regularly for obvious reasons. But this is a, a kind of clash of two of the most important footballing cultures in the world in a major final it's never happened before and I think I think both teams knowing the character of, of both sort of football cultures both teams will be quite concerned about the other the other team so I don't know whether mm. that would affect the game but if if both teams play as they have at their best in this tournament we could be on right. for for one of the great finals so let's hope it's so. a bold call from Duncan Brazil, Argentina. Actually, it's a while since they face each other in the in the Copa final, but it, we'll have a quick word on that game uh, very shortly. Uh, we're talking about one or two other things to do with Brazil, uh, but before that, next up on this uh, totally football at the Euros, let's have a quick word from Alvaro Romeo because Italy's passage to the final, of course, came at Spain's expense, and Alvaro will give us the reaction the day after for Luis Enrique's side next. Euros are here, and you'd better make the most of them because they only come around every four, five years. So if your bookie isn't making you feel special, then maybe it's time to find a new one. Yep, not so much carpe diem as carpadium. Yeah? If the grass is greener on the other side, come and play on it. If your bookie's not giving you the best rewards, switch and you'll get a completely free £5 bet builder on all England's group games. Paddy Power. Pre-match bet builder bets only min. Two plus legs on my exclusive must have previously deposited to avail. T's and C's apply. 18plusbegambleaware.org. We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. 
Jorginho resopla con vamos, la vamos, carrera. Vamos. Busca bien a derecha. Chuta Jorginho. Gol de Italia. Gol de Jorginho. Estamos eliminados. Qué cruel es el fútbol. All right then. Alvaro Romeo joins us for a little brief interlude with uh, some thoughts on Spain's, for them, untimely exit from Euro 2020. Alvaro, first of all, what's the reaction been in Spain to Las Rojas' exit? Well, of course, it's been a disappointment, but I think that it could have been a different type of disappointment if Spain had lost differently, if Spain hadn't been convinced in this tournament, if they hadn't progressed until the semifinals. Uh, I think that the front page of Marca encapsulates it very well, saying, with honour, I think that Spain lost the game with honour. Maybe they deserve more. But after all, this is uh, probably what you would have expected or more than you would have expected from this team. Definitely a month ago when, uh, you know, there were many critics about the team. Uh, some players like uh, Llorente and especially Busquets had COVID before the tournament. Sergio Ramos being in the squad, an inexperienced group of players. I think that having reached the semifinals and all that make Spain very proud. Okay, what did El Chiringuito have to say? Yeah, uh, that show El Chiringuito that uh, normally spurs on uh, controversy and maybe stays on the surface. Well, uh, I think that they were um, focusing a little bit on the Jordi Alba and uh, Chiellini incident uh, okay. before the, pen the penalty shootout as well. Um, saying what? Uh, saying that uh, basically Chiellini uh, ripped off Spain uh, for that or that maybe what? Jordi Alba... Uh, yeah, in Spain, the feeling, yes, is that uh, Jordi Alba basically was uh, ripped off in a way, but not in a bad way or anything by Chiellini, because uh, apparently Jordi Alba, you know, uh, had chosen... Had won the toss. Uh, had, had won the toss, yes. Okay. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, there was a little bit of a mention to that, of course. Not bringing any Real Madrid players uh, has been still, for some, uh, reason for controversy. That mm -hmm. was mentioned yesterday. But generally speaking, I think that uh, the rest of the media outlets and platforms, they've been rather complimentary and they have accepted that this team have done an excellent job and uh, that they have been representing the country with honours. That's what they think. What, what do you think, though, Alvaro? I know you're, you're pretty unhappy about the exit. Uh, I could say that I am proud of Spain because they have played football very well. Collectively, they have done many things well. I think that uh, then some execution problems in the opponent's box and in defense have costed Spain a lot. Every through ball in between the defenders uh, in the knockout stages has been a real problem for the Spanish centre-backs. Uh, the goal against Switzerland was a lack of understanding between Pau and Laporte. I think that uh, Eric Garcia and Laporte again could have done better in the goal of Chiesa um, yesterday. But generally speaking, my feeling is good. I think that uh, this is a good generation of footballers. Seven or eight players of this Spanish team, uh, they have two decisive years ahead of them before the World Cup in Qatar. I mm -hmm. think that it's very important that the likes of Oyarzabal, Pedri, Olmo, Pau Torres, Eric Garcia, and many more make a step right. forward and become top players because I think that this is not a golden generation of Spanish football. I think that this is a really good group of players coached by an excellent manager. So, in my opinion, nothing should be changed because this equilibrium is quite fragile. I think that there is a great manager and some players that they are ready to learn. So, let's keep it and let's see what happens. And I believe as well that Spain needs somebody 
really good to score the goals. And at the minute they don't have that player. And maybe Ansu Fati, in two years' time, ahead of Qatar uh, 2022, or in 18 months' time, uh, he can be that player. But still, we need to know how he recovers from his injury. And of course, uh, a special mention for Pedri. I mean, it's not normal, it's not natural to play like this when you're 18 years old and to run against with such a simplicity. I think Luis Enrique was tremendously complimentary of him as well. And he said that not even Iniesta was this good when he was 18. And I couldn't agree more. This is interesting because we'd heard a lot about Pedro. We've seen him in action and we've seen the way that Messi enjoys playing with him. But to see him perform at that level really opens up quite exciting prospects about how good he could become, what what kind of player he could become over the next 10 years. Well, uh, I think that he's already a really good player. I believe that uh, there is a risk of burning him out physically because he's going to play the Olympic Games as well. And uh, right after the Olympic Games, he started the pre-season with Barcelona. So I think that Ronald Koeman and the Spanish national team, they have to look after this player physically. He's got a tremendous potential. He's a great ball carrier. He steals the ball in a very subtle way. And then his passing range is improving a lot. He needs to have a little bit more of a long passing. I believe that with age, he will become stronger and he will do that. And uh, I will refer to some words of uh, Pepe Mel, the former West Bromwich Albion manager, who said a couple of years ago when Pedro was playing for Las Palmas, he had... Pedri before his eyes and he was talking to a number of players and he pointed at Pedri and he said, look at that boy, he's a millionaire and he doesn't even know about it. He was so good at the age of 16 that, uh, you know, even Pepe Mel or anybody else could spot that he was going to be a great talent. So Barcelona signed him and I think that he's in the right team to excel. Um, now it's important that Ronald Koeman and Luis Enrique look, look after this player and uh, as I said before, not to get him too tired because his legs are not endless. I mean, at some point, he needs a rest as well. Absolutely. Alvary, you mentioned Barcelona, not wishing to be negative, but what is the latest on the ongoing meltdown at one of Spain's biggest clubs? There was a lot of talk midweek about the fact that Barcelona can't register these signings that they'd, they'd made, hmm. Memphis Depay, Sergio Aguero, and uh, also one that they're hoping to make, this guy Leo Messi. What, what's the situation? What happens now? Well, just playing it very well. Um, Barcelona needs to meet La Liga's salary cap. And uh, at the minute, they've got uh, many players that they have to register. And they couldn't register them because they will go beyond the salary cap. So now the trick for John Laporta and uh, the rest of the directing board is to send as many players as they can on loan or to offload players or to transfer them if possible, even though it's not easy in this context, mm -hmm. or even to tell them to leave for free. Something that uh, Pjanic or Umtiti, for example, have been accepted. Uh, okay. So the situation, the situation is quite tricky at the moment. Joan Laporta said a couple of weeks ago in front of an assembly that uh, he didn't expect Barcelona finances to be that bad. This is the legacy of Bartomeu. And yes, Joan Laporta now is trying to do his best to keep Messi in the team. But let's not forget, if Messi is registered and Memphis and the new players and all that have to be registered, it's at the expense of offloading plenty of players. And when I talk about players, I talk about salaries, because in this time, um, everything in Barcelona is um, regarded in salary terms. Which player cost a lot to Barcelona? Well, if we can offload that player, that would be a blessing. So the likes of Coutinho, the likes of Untiti, the likes of Trincao, who is gone, Junior Firpo is going to Leeds United. These ones, mm -hmm. I expect them to have a turbulent summer. The thing is that many players at Barcelona, they make a lot of money and they say, why should I leave the club? I mean, I signed this contract in the past and I want to stay because it's my right. And they are right uh, to do that. So it's going to be a very tricky summer for Joan Laporta. 
Okay. And amongst all of this, what would you say the probability or possibility is that Leo Messi doesn't sign a new deal, possibly because they're not able to make room within the salary cap for the right kind of offer? Well, uh, to start with, I would like to see if Javier Tebas is absolutely not flexible with the salary cap. Hmm. Uh, because I don't know if it's good for La Liga to lose a player like Lionel Messi. Uh, at the end of the day, Lionel Messi is a tremendous uh, uh, hook for audiences. So that's something I want to see. But as the days go by, if Lionel Messi doesn't sign a new contract, obviously Barcelona is in jeopardy. And the situation is becoming more complicated because Lionel Messi at some point is going to say, hey, the new season is approaching. Uh, in a month time, uh, domestic leagues are going to start and I don't have a team yet. So I think that the more the situation prolongs in time, the more dangerous it's going to be for Barcelona. And there are some teams in there who had the money to pay Lionel Messi. Lionel Messi knows already that Barcelona is not going to offer him the same conditions he had in the past. So, you know, the best thing that can happen to Barcelona is that Lionel Messi doesn't have to choose between two offers. Right. Okay. As you say, it should be sorted out as soon as possible. This whole situation, though, so far has been a little bit like something that everyone assumed is going to get taken care of because it's Barcelona. And, and yet it just seems to get worse and worse. So, I, I'm not so sure I, I share your optimism. We shall see. Uh, Alvaro, thank you so much for that round. I look forward to speaking to you soon on the Totally Football Show. Thank you, James. Take care. Woof, Alvaro Romeo there. Hey, Kalini controversy saying he conned Jordi Alba. Did you see that? Is that everybody else's take as well? <sighs> no, it seems that... It, I mean, what, what was reported is that... Um, Alba had effectively chosen the wrong end. He'd got the end wrong. He'd made a mistake and there, and then tried to change it. And Chiellini was like, I'm not having any of that. But then, actually, the referee then tossed the coin again. Yeah. So I don't... I, well, I don't. so now, apparently, the referee, Dr. Felix Brick, first of all tossed the coin for the end and then tossed the coin to decide who would take the first penalty. And in both occasions, Jordi Alba came up short, which, you know... Not to, but anyway, but Collini certainly took it all in good humor and um, Jordi Alba less so. Anyway, very shortly, we'll be talking a little bit about Brazil and ooh, the Copper America final and what the number one unemployed player in the world has been up to of late. First of all, though, let's get some quick odds from Paddy Power over to producer Ben. Thank you very much, Jimbo. That was fun, wasn't it, listeners? Um, Jason Murphy from Paddy Power is on the line. Jason, we're a couple of days out from the final. We'll speak again before Sunday, but give us a bit of value a few hours after the final whistle. We've England slight favourites at four to five, Italy ten to eleven. We consider England not to be as good as Italy, but it's those very vocal home support and home comforts that make the difference. Italy are the better team, but when you factor in that crowd. They really are the 12th man. Believe it or not, at Paddy Power, Italy would actually be a bigger loser for us in terms of a tournament winner. They took more bets at slightly bigger prices than England throughout the tournament. However, Paddy Power himself, in all his wisdom, despite odds odds compiler telling him it was crazy, he decided on the eve of the tournament to do a massive special on England at a price of 8-1 to to bring it home. That special by itself will cost us a nearly a million pound if England do do the job. So professionally, for me, for Paddy Power, there's no good result for us in this final. And personally, I've watched from a distance all the England drama and heartache, Euro 96, France 98. I was in Leicester Square in 2010 when that lamb's goal wasn't given against Germany. 
and the summer just seemed to end there. But I wished you well in the 2018 World Cup. A fantastic summer of fun and love trains. But I don't want England to win it. But I do want you to enjoy every minute of it. As for Italy, I have nothing against them. They have nothing against me. Bar maybe I like pineapple on a pizza. But all I really, really want is just a bit more drama for what has been a fantastic tournament. We'll see Kalini tussle with Kane throughout the game. But we'd love to see him tussle with him at a coin toss as well for penalties. And England to win it on penalties is 15-2. to two. And remember, you don't always have to have a bet. Particularly for a game like this, there's going to be plenty of drama and entertainment. So above all else, enjoy. The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Find a bookie who loves you right back as much as Gareth loves right backs. Place a four-plus-fold bet builder on any football match and get money back as a free bet if one leg lets you down. Check paddypower.com for more details. £10 max free bet. T's and C's apply. 18plusbgambleaware.org. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, host of The England Show, brought to you daily throughout Euro 2020. I'll be joined by writers from The Athletic and special guests to bring you unrivaled coverage dedicated to the England team this summer. So for expert insight into Southgate squad and post-game reaction to all the games, search for The England Show wherever you get your podcasts or via The Athletic app. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Hey, listener, you know that £1 a month you just don't know what to do with? Sign up for a subscription uh, with The Athletic for its unrivaled coverage of Euro 2020, and your problems will be over. Because along with getting rid of that pound, you will receive in return all the articles, all the podcasts ad-free, and Q&As with writers. That £1 a month deal, by the way, only applies to the first six months. Lord knows what awaits you after that. But I'm sure all the details are at theathletic.com slash totally. On this day, everybody, love a bit of on this day. And today being the 8th of July, it's an 8th of July from yesteryear. We turn to, oof, this one's from 2014. And a ball of sugar! 
Thiago. Gol da Alemanha, chame de novo. Duncan, do you know what that was? Uh, it sounded like a heavy defeat for Brazil. It certainly was. It's a game that has its own Wikipedia entry, which sounds impressive, but probably lots of games have their own Wikipedia lots entries. Lots of games do, but if they do, then you know it's a good game. Right. Well, this one was a good game for one nation, not so much for the other. It was, of course, the 2014 World Cup semi-final. Brazil against Germany. Brazil, the World Cup host. Brazil who were on an extraordinary unbeaten run at home in competitive fixtures. How long? 39 years, 62 matches. Crikey. It came to a remarkable end on this day in history. Daniel? Yeah, I, I, I mean, there are some games where you find yourself not really making noises, but just sort of doing little yelps and giggles as if to kind of almost to kind of reinforce to yourself that you are watching something amazing happening. Um, there's no need to talk to anyone. I was watching it with friends, but there's no need to talk to anyone. You're just all just sort of laughing at it. And it was it was absolute tragicomic farce for Brazil because there was that, you know, there was that kind of sense of this is our tournament to lose. And... They didn't just lose; they got absolutely. I mean, they got their whole psyche dismantled by Germany. Right, um, five nil yeah, up after twenty nine minutes. The Germans they scored four goals in the space of just six minutes, which is the fastest haul in World Cup history. Uh, any any other stats to try and explain to anyone who wasn't watching a gog? Uh, well, at the end of that game, Germany had scored more goals in that match than England had managed in their past two World Cups combined. Obviously, now, now England are a superpower. We can look back at that and smile at, at how bad we were. Um, people forget as well, it used up all the goals because the other semi-final uh, was nil-nil. The first World Cup semi to ever end nil-nil. So just spread it out a bit more. and it would be Right. Better. Brazil bounced back pretty well, actually. Uh, they are the reigning Copper America champions and they're, they're back in the final this year. They're on a... A decent unbeaten run as well under Chiche. And uh, taking on Argentina this Saturday, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Duncan. Argentina, who haven't won the Copa America since 1993 and have had a run of blowing finals in embarrassing fashion, although not quite to the same dimensions as uh, that Brazil 1, Germany 7 result that we were just mentioning. Uh, by the way, just you know, before we wrap it up, Argentina getting into the Copa America final uh, courtesy of um, Monday's, uh, or I think Tuesday morning by the time it actually happened, a penalty shootout against Colombia. Did you see this? Yeah, I saw um, I saw Emmy Martinez managing to one-up even Giorgio Chiellini's big penalty energy, the Jordi Alba by... Uh, <laughs> I mean, just some good old-fashioned trash talk, which uh, is, is pretty much underrated. You see a lot of keepers sort of dancing across their lines and time-wasting and pretending that the ball feels a bit down, they want to have an extra feel of it. But um, just good old-fashioned cussing uh, of an opponent well, to psych him out. Yeah, and I, I think what was, I mean, for me, extra impressive about it was that he didn't just call them out and not just cuss them, but, but, but genuinely kind of move in with his furniture to their brains and, and <laughs> say, look at me, look at me, I know where you're going, look at me, look at me. But each time he did it, I mean, with one exception, he, I think he had consecutive saves on Yerry Mina and uh, Owen Cardona. 
Devinson Sanchez, he also saved against. But it wasn't just the players went wrong. He read their, their shot and stopped it. It was a fantastic shootout performance. Yeah, I mean, I, I suspect there are times that we don't hear about where keepers try that and go the wrong way for four out of five penalties and, you know, it just doesn't really get mentioned. But, uh, yeah, if you pull it off like that, and he clearly did, you know, he clearly did get into the heads and particularly the Eri Mina one, I think he, he, he Mina ended up making it look pretty obvious as he was taking the penalty where it was going. Um, so, yeah, and just a, at the end of a, a pretty sensational year for Emi Martinez, having gone from Arsenal's reserve goalkeeper to Argentina's number one. Well, I was going to say, like, you go back 12 months and he just about, you know, got into Arsenal's team through that injury to Bernd Leno. And then a year on and Messi's sort of talking about him in the post-match saying, Emi, we, we knew we could count on Emi. It's like, that's a, that's a good year. It's a solid year. But obviously there's the other thing as well in the final that Messi hasn't won a... Hasn't won a tournament with Argentina. And he's well, apart from the Olympics. Don't forget the Olympics. The Olympics does not count. That does not count. If it right. was three-day eventing or some sort, that's fine. But, right. But not football. Um, oh. But maybe he's waiting. He's obviously not got a club, technically. Yep. Maybe he'll win this and then he's a free man to go and do whatever it's he likes. It's a very useful shop window for him, isn't it? That'll be a Saturday night or actually Sunday morning. What time is it on? Is it one in the morning, kind of red button BBC thing? Yeah, I think so. Right. Excellent. Okay. Uh, well, on, on the Olympics, mm. well, Duncan mentioned it, um, news broke on, on Wednesday that um, Pedri is going to be taken to the Olympics by Spain because... Yep. If, if you have got a, a young player who can do everything, the best thing to do is to play him 75 times in the same year and hope everything stays together with PVA glue and sawdust. Yeah. Right, right. And then straight back to Barcelona. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. All right, well, as I say, we are back on Friday afternoon, so that will probably be with you ooh, Friday evening, maybe Saturday morning, but sometime around then, listener. I do hope you'll join us for some erudite thoughts on our expectations for Sunday's big England-Italy Euro final. There'll be some other stuff in there too, perhaps. Uh, for now, thanks ever so much to Daniel Story and to Duncan Alexander and, as ever, producer Charlie for his nocturnal endeavours. And listener to you too. see you Friday and bye for now. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on The Athletic app and discover bonus content by following The Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Keep up to date with everything Totally at The Totally Show on Twitter and find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.